You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. It is great to be with you again. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Health Call Radio Hour. Glad you fit us into your busy life. We're going to focus this half hour on a problem suffered by 40 million Americans with news that a new drug is going to be on the market soon to help them cope with the crushing pain of migraine. The FDA recently approved a fast-acting drug from Pfizer called Zabsprit. The big deal here is it's a nasal spray, so it acts a lot faster than similar meds, some that you swallow, others that are injected. Some patients report pain relief within as little as 15 minutes, and they say they're back to normal in less than an hour. So that's pretty remarkable. Researchers have now identified more than 130 different types of headache. But migraines, well, they're in a category all their own. They may cause nausea, flashing lights, or sort of zigzagging lines across your field of vision. It can leave you extremely sensitive to light and sound. Now, I have never suffered migraine, but I've talked with those who do, and they're simply tormented by them. The physical symptoms are bad enough, but then comes an issue you might never expect, and that is being seen as a hypochondriac or some kind of a slacker. I talked with Dr. Michael Oshinsky from the National Institutes of Health to bring the rest of us up to speed on what people who suffer migraine are going through. The life can be difficult. And one of the most difficult things that a patient experiencing migraine has to deal with, and that's the stigma of having a debilitating condition, but not having an outward sign that they look sick or have an injury. So the patient um, you know, may start the day with a headache and they have trouble getting up in the morning and then they, um, they could have a fogginess in their brain and have some you know, cognitive um, slowing associate during that headache that could distract them and even prevent them from fulfilling their duties properly. But when other people look at them, they look, you know, really healthy. And uh, that stigma is pretty difficult to, to, to deal with. But the anticipation of the next headache, finding the right treatment that works with them, because there are many choices, but there's also many patients that aren't um, properly uh, you know, treated with the current treatments that are available. So all these things put together can make it uh, a difficult life for those with uh, frequent migraine headaches. Yeah, I get that. If I if I never know day to day, hour to hour, whether or not I'm going to be debilitated by this thing, it, it's difficult to get on with life. I understand that. Yeah. So tell me about what makes someone prone to headache. Are there some? Or I mean, to migraine. Are there some uh, similarities? Is there lifestyle, foods, other illnesses? Do we know any of those factors? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Migraine is almost surely has a very strong genetic component. In twin studies where one twin has, the, uh, has a migraine, and it, m- migraine they, it's much more likely that the other twin will have it too. And that's a good hint that there's uh, a genetic component, even if the twins didn't grow up together. And there's a variety of reasons why that might happen. 
if you look across families, you see it, it, it tracks that way also through the, the children and looking for relatives there. But the individual attacks themselves can be triggered by a change in sleep pattern, even change in the weather, we know, um, can also trigger migraine in some patients. I think the, the biggest thing we should get across is that migraine is a, a disorder that has lots of different pathways that lead to that attack in different patients. So we shouldn't think that one set of trigger or triggers that will lead to a migraine headache in one individual has to be the same in another individual or indicative of across the whole group of migraine patients, which there are literally tens of millions in the United States alone. So, of course, that makes it very difficult for doctors to manage this condition because it's so individualized and personalized. Yeah, there are certain lifestyle changes that can really make a difference for the patients. Oh, so, such as? Yeah, so uh, going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, that prevents the, the, the Saturday morning and the Monday morning headache that is indicative of many migraineurs because they, have the, they sleep in on Saturday morning and then they get up early again on Monday. So having a fixed sleeper pattern can really help patients. Staying active, of course, will help patients in many different disorders, and it's also helpful in migraine. And then keeping a migraine diary. And then along with that diary, maybe keeping a food diary and then putting in there some other lifestyle things that are going on, and the patients can really discover their own triggers and then make lifestyle changes. So it's all about pattern recognition, it sounds like. That's, that's, that's what I have to learn is what, what triggers my headaches and then just steer away from that. Give me an idea about medications and, and what's out there, what works. If somebody is suffering migraines, uh, what do they need to be asking about based on the latest research? So there's lots of choices for patients with migraine. And really, the most important thing for me to get across is that there are treatments and the patients don't have to suffer. They don't have to keep treating their migraines as they have in the past. Over-the-counter medications can be very helpful for patients with migraine. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen can be helpful for, those, for patients. The combination analgesics that put together acetaminophen with caffeine, there's many patients that for treating individual attacks can have a benefit from that. But then when the headaches become more frequent, that means maybe more than three or four uh, in, a, in a week, they should really speak to their physician about preventive, preventive medications. Examples of that can be classes of drugs that were originally developed for um, dealing with seizures, so anti-epileptic drugs, or even some compounds that were used to treat anxiety or depression, such as tricyclic antidepressants. Those can be useful as um, a daily medication that will prevent migraines so that they'll have less per month and also so that their acute medications will work better. And then recently, there's been some tremendous options made available for the patients that were developed specifically for migraine. And uh, those are the calcitonin gene-related peptide CGRP antibodies, which decrease the amount of CGRP available to bind to the receptor in a patient's blood. These antibodies are circulating, and, um, and then they bind up this protein called CGRP. 
And then there's also um, orally uh, available tablets for, uh, that are CGRP antagonists that block the, the receptor itself. And um, those can treat individual attacks. In addition, there's also devices for stimulating nerves, either in the neck, the vagus nerve, or um, stimulating branches of the sensory nerves in the face, um, on the forehead, and in the periorbital region. So these nerve stimulators can also be really helpful for many patients. So there's really a lot of options. There's injectable options also, so it's Botox. That newly approved nasal spray I mentioned is one of those CGRP drugs Dr. Michael Oshinsky just mentioned. Now, just a quick recap here. CGRP is a protein that causes intense inflammation of the covering of the brain. That's called the meninges. These drugs work by blocking a receptor so the protein cannot attach to cells and trigger pain. Think of it as a blocking a lock so the key can't get in. This Zavsprit navel spray is coming to market in July. The cost? That's not yet made public. Something else we don't know about migraine is the link to anxiety and depression. The two do indeed go hand in hand, but why? We'll examine something called the pain train in just a minute, and you may be surprised to learn of a powerful treatment that is absolutely free. We have much more about migraine still to come right here on the Health Call Radio Hour. You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back. Our focus this half hour is the crushing pain of migraines. Millions of people go through life never really sure when something is going to set off a storm in their brain that can put them down for hours, even days. Doctors know migraines run in families, so that hints there's a genetic component, but they haven't exactly figured it out. They also know people who suffer depression and anxiety are more likely to suffer migraines as well. Dr. Michael Oshinsky from the National Institutes of Health says researchers still haven't identified the chemical nuances that make depression and migraine such good friends, and they still don't know whether depression is causative or is it just a correlation. I think that's an excellent question. And I'll tie that into one of the answers I gave previously. So I mentioned anticonvulsants, I mentioned antidepressants and how they can be used for migraine. I think a better way to think of these compounds as as, uh, as drugs that modulate activity in the brain and that there's, there's these shared pathways that can either lead to a perception of depression that the patients can you know, significantly feel the, the depressed or anxious or that disruption of those neural pathways can also lead to this disorder that we call migraine. So to think of these drugs as, uh, as only for treating one particular neurological disease is a mistake to understand how the brain works and then it's highly interconnected. So when we talk about 
comorbid conditions such as anxiety or depression or even you know sleep disorders we have to understand that there are disruption in the normal or correct physiological functioning of the brain and that these treatments can restore balance when there is imbalance so migraine doesn't cause depression and depression doesn't cause migraine, but there's these shared pathways in the brain that when uh, disrupted can lead to one or both. Oh, that is very interesting. I see that relationship. So I have read that two hours of physical activity per week is very helpful for patients with migraine. What is that connection between physical activity and relief of this you know, horrible condition. It's really important for, for people to realize that um, getting up and moving, exercising, and really not you know, being stuck in a chair and, and you know, speaking to uh, their computer screen all day long can be a tremendous benefit for their health, not just migraine and not just for their waistline. We know that when you exercise, you change the balance of pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory substances in your blood. And these in change, in, in turn, change those inflammatory substances and ratios of neurotransmitters in your brain. A person can make themselves happy from just working out. And we know that, you know, because of the research on, on endorphins. In addition, those circulating substances that when they build up or in combination with triggers that can lead to a migraine are regulated by a person's activity. So getting up and moving, getting up and exercising, it's not necessarily you have to get yourself to a full sweat, but really being an active person uh, can prevent obesity, which will increase a patient's um, migraines. And, um, you know, just a sedentary lifestyle can also increase their migraines. So there's a strong recommendation to get patients moving. That's interesting. So if, if I'm currently in a migraine condition, uh, if I force myself to get up and move, is that likely to be helpful? Or is it just a general overall improvement that's likely to reduce the incidence? I'm glad you asked that. We don't have evidence for that. And migraine, one of those key features between, that differentiate migraine from, let's say, tension-type headache, you know, a stress headache, is that migraine is exacerbated by movement. And um, tension-type headache is not. That means running up the stairs or bending over to tie your shoes, the migraine pounding will feel worse or more painful, whereas tension-type headache is a dull headache that isn't really influenced by activity. There's this thing I've read about called the pain train. So once you get into that cycle of migraine or just you know chronic other headache disorders, then you start to feel pain elsewhere throughout your body. Is that is that a just a if is a complaint of patients or is that a real deal? Have we researched that? Yeah, we have done some research in that area. So in the area of research on chronic overlapping pain conditions. If you track patients after they've been diagnosed with a chronic pain condition, and they could be fibromyalgia, it could be irritable bowel syndrome, it could be chronic migraine, I mean, we could list a whole, or chronic low back pain. If you look at them 
let's say five years later, the average number of chronic pain conditions that they've been diagnosed with is more than three. So there is this idea of once a patient is diagnosed, and now that's not every patient, but many of them. So once a patient is diagnosed with one condition, they really have to work with their physician on interventions to prevent um, the increase in debilitation of that condition. So they have to get treatments on board to prevent the development of those other pain conditions. Although we don't have the circulating substance that have changed in their blood that are really causing this, we do believe that they're connected to inflammatory pathways and compensatory mechanisms that the body has for dealing with changes in pathology, I mean, changes in physiology of body that have then now working in, let's say, a positive feedback motion. Give me something that's hopeful. What do you see as the brightest star on the horizon for people with this problem? So the, the most important thing that patients need to know is have a conversation with their doctor. The headache that they've had maybe for more than 20 years and they feel pain in their face or around their nose and they, and they also may even have a discharge from their nose and they might think it's, a, it's a, a, just a sinus headache. And, the, you know, and they're, but this, the same treatments they've been using in the past aren't really helpful to really speak to their physician it could be migraine. And we have many choices for patients with episodic migraine. So the, it, it's not a cure for migraine. Okay. So that's how I'm interpreting when you say eliminate the attacks. It's not a cure for migraine, but it does significantly decrease the number of attacks that patients experience for those who respond to these drugs. Even some of them, the attacks will go away while the antibodies are circulating to make them feel much more comfortable and much more able to get through their daily activities of working with their children or just being successful at work. So that brings us back to news that a new nasal spray called Zafsprit from Pfizer should be available by July for patients with migraine. It's certainly worth asking your doctor about. Fewer than 5% of people who go to the doctor get an accurate diagnosis and find effective treatment after just one appointment. So you can expect multiple appointments and maybe even seeing a headache specialist before they figure out what works for you. For some reason, women are three times more likely to suffer migraine than men. The attacks tend to come more often as well. And in general, women suffer migraines more seriously because, well, they're busy moms and they bear so much responsibility for their families, it's hard to take downtime. This is a condition that I'm glad to know more about. And if you'd like to learn more, I'll link to the American Migraine Foundation on the Health Call Facebook page, also in the show notes for the podcast of today's program. You can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, so just search for the Health Call Radio Hour and you'll find us. And while you're at the computer, how about visiting the Health Call website? Just go to healthcall.live, healthcall.live. You can drop me a line. I read every message. You'll always get a personal reply. And you can sign up to be a member of our weekly email list. You'll get an advance notice of the topics we're covering on the program. Much more to come. I hope you will stay tuned for more of the Health Call Radio Hour.
podcast by Federated Media.